Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast, and don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, brianclayman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm Lucky Luciano Sajoni with me, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. And a lot going on as usual uh, around us in the world uh, that we'll get into shortly. But I uh, just want to preface the today's episode. We're going to be talking about um, why are contractors and the clients so surprised when security guarding contracts is, uh, fall apart or things go sideways and uh, people aren't happy. But before we do that, let's talk about what's going on, what's keeping you up at night, uh, Brian. Well, you know, the big thing, Luke, that's keeping me up at night is how you just screwed up the introduction to this podcast. <laughs> I can redo it. <laughs> so really the question is, that, uh, or the podcast title is, why are some guard companies surprised when they lose a client? So what's keeping me up at night? You, you know, COVID's See? in the news, and, and I don't want to talk too much about COVID, no, but the vaccines are coming. The vaccines are coming, and there is light at the end of the tunnel. But now we've just had reports out of Europe with some reactions with the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, the uh, uh, Some people having blood clots in some European uh, countries, and I think an Asian country has it on hold for a while. Uh, what I'm hearing from different science sources that they don't think it's connected. Uh, these things are going to happen no matter, you know, just naturally in the environment. But in an abundance of caution, they're holding off. But it's interesting, just today, the government of Canada said that, or Health Canada said that uh, uh, the vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine that we're using here, is not made from the same batch. It's not made at the same factory, and they believe it's entirely safe. And, and, and I would like to believe them. But the problem is, you know, since the world of Trump, we've gone backwards so quickly in terms of you can't believe anyone. You know, it's funny, when Trump started, he would lie. The very first press conference, he lied about how many people were at the inauguration. Yeah. And really, it's an insignificant lie. It's a white lie. But it was telling to me, because if you're going to lie about something that's insignificant, what is the likelihood you're going to lie about something that is significant? And if that's your character, then when we need to trust government, how can we trust you? When Trump said that COVID, uh, the, the cure is around the corner, COVID's on the way out, people believed him. Yeah. And another 150,000 people have died since then. So I have to ask myself with the Canadian side of the equation, is our vaccine strategy and are these things really safe? I believe they are, quite honestly. But you know what? Would the federal government have a reason to lie? Yes. Yep. They screwed up the vaccine procurement program. We all of a sudden, uh, the science is saying that you need two injections. I think it's a month apart or four, you know six weeks yeah, apart or something is, like yeah. that. Canada says no. Very coincidentally, that sort of helps the government because now we're no longer behind the eight ball. So my point is that uh, I'm getting frustrated. What keeps me up at night is the amount of lying that occurs, the fact that we can't trust our leaders, and the fact that we have to go back to basics, you know, Biden's so far, and I know that you're not a Biden fan, and I'm just a, you know, the only reason I like Biden is I think he just has some integrity and decency. But he said, it's to be seen whether he follows through, that he will always be truthful. And when they're wrong, they're wrong. I just want leaders to be truthful. And, you know, if they admit their mistakes, okay, and tell us what they're going to do to fix it, I much prefer that than telling me everything's going to be okay when it's not. That continues to keep me up at night. And even as we're in the rush now for the vaccine, I think we should all take it. I, my family plans to. Uh, I just wish we could trust our leaders because I don't think we could trust any of them. Although you did just say that Biden doesn't lie. So that's almost well, it's I, funny. That's what <laughs> he, he is says. a politician, right? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You, you're right. 
but but he has identified that as something that is an important uh, attribute of a leader. But they you, you all know? do, man. They all do, and that's that's that like I, I that that's what I was going to bring up is what what keeps me up at night because quite frankly I'm tired of listening to our leaders pretend that they empathize and and maybe they do empathize but if they do they have they have a poor way of showing it because when I watch them they're so disconnected from the reality of everyday life I I just don't believe them and I don't think most Canadians believe them anymore and I'm sick and tired of hearing people like the good doctor in in Toronto tell us about how she can relate and she accounts for all these things really do you really know what it's like not to know that you can't pay your mortgage this week or you can't put food on the table or that you have been out of work for freaking 12 months. Do you really know what that's like? Because I don't think you do. But I don't know that the public health people have to think like that. You know, I think what's wrong is what's wrong is what Doug Ford said some time ago, that we follow the science and do what they tell us. I think that's wrong. I think public health have to be selfish. Their mandate mission is very simple to keep people safe and keep the health institutions functioning. That's their mandate. And if in order for them to do that, say that everyone's got a quarantine in their house and never come out for nine months, then that's the guidance. It's up to the political leaders to look at what the science says, what the uh, economic people say, what the, uh, the the business associations are saying, and make a decision. So but I don't not. want. What, uh, but I don't. Uh, well, well no, that, that's the failure. See, my point is, I don't think the problem is with the public health people. People are mad at Dr. Williams. They're mad at Dr. Davila. There's been death threats. I mean, there's some real yeah. egregious stuff. They're mad at the wrong person. Be mad at the virus, okay? You know, what I would ask you, Luke, because I say this uh, when I debate with my son, it's easy to be critical, but if you were the premier of this province or if you were the head of public health, what would you do differently? I would have been open. I've been, I've been, I thought that way from the get-go. Give the people the tools to do what they need to do. Put on your damn mask. Wash your damn hands. Put on uh, what they were supposed to do was put those uh, iron rings around those old folks' homes and high-priority targets. Lock those down. But you don't kill a freaking country, which is what they're doing. How many businesses have gone under? How many are going to go under before we get back to normal? In my opinion, we're on the front end of this. We're still, we're yet to get into the depths of how dark it's going to get. When those bills start coming due, when the interest rates start going up, when there's no businesses to pay the damn taxes for all these freaking things that the government's given out, that's my, that's my issue. So I wouldn't have done that. And there's countries out there who didn't close and they're doing just as well as, if not better than Canada. So one strategy has not been proven clearly to be better than the other. We've just chosen the one that I think makes the least sense. You know, I, I hate you. <laughs> because I asked that question, and I thought that was a knockout punch. I thought I was going to get you. But, you know, you spoke truth to power or power to truth. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. I think what you, you – so what I heard you say, you would have been honest, and yeah. you would have been focused on the totality, the public health stuff and the guidance, and, and, and not saying that we want people to do the right thing. If you're putting an iron ring, put an iron ring, and I would agree – we wouldn't have had to lock down or shelter in place at home to the degree we did if we could have just got the basics right. You know, there was a statistic uh, not long ago out of the U.S. from CDC under the Biden administration. One of his COVID czars said that if we just wore masks just for 30 days, it would break the back of this thing. And I think you're right. I, I would have done the same thing you suggested as well. I would have been honest. I would have uh, said, how do I balance the needs of the economy and of families to feed themselves with crushing this disease? And the guidance was good guidance. We couldn't get that done right. Like, for example, the thing that just absolutely drives me bonkers is when I hear uh, either the provincial government or federal government say that we're going to enact the Emergency Quarantine Act. If you're coming to Canada, you got to go to a hotel. Okay, yeah. That's great. So they do that. It was, some people may say it's draconian. I say, listen, uh, if you want to travel and go to Mexico or Acapulco on vacation during global pandemic, then you have to do so, but then you have to isolate so you don't bring it back into Canada. And if you've gone to Latvia to see your ailing parents, I think that's a trip deserve, well-deserved. But mm -hmm. you still got to isolate when you come back. But they enact this draconian rule. And there's no consequence. So what people do now is they come back. The health officials say you have to go to the hotel. 
They say, screw you, I'm not. Yeah. And there's nothing in the law that allow the police or public health yeah. to put handcuffs on you, to compel you, just to give an $800 ticket or whatever the ticket yeah. is. And then I read the disturbing thing in the Globe and Mail the other day that I, th I think it said 70% of the tickets have not been paid because they're going to be contested. What do you think is going to happen in this liberal country a year from now when COVID is over with all these outstanding fines? So I think that's the mistake. The yeah. things that would have worked that would have been easy to do, like it's no real inconvenience out of my life to wear a mask or to stay more than six feet away from someone who has bad breath. Okay, that's easier to do than to tell me I can't run my business or leave my house. But we didn't do that. And, I think and, it's and, just an opportunity. It's a missed opportunity, and that, that's why I'm so pissed off with them. I, I don't, I, I really stopped listening to them because they stopped listening to the people. And I've listened, you know, like you, we listen to talk shows all day. You hear these business owners calling, not just business owners, but representatives of business associations, you know, business leagues. So whoever, whoever wants to call in gets some airtime nowadays to express their frustration at trying to tell the government leaders what the issues are, what their concerns are. And they'll tell you on the air that they don't want to even listen to them. Like they don't give them any time, right? So that to me says they're not listening to the people who are being impacted most. They're listening to just the medical professionals. And that's what they're using as their excuse to lock everybody down. And then the medical professionals, you know, we talked about this just before we started the, the call. You know, I find it almost hilarious, you know, in a sad, tragic sort of way, how all of a sudden, they talk about following the science for the masks, for the distancing. You know, we have to follow the science. And if you don't listen to us, you're, you're against science. You're crazy. You're stupid. And yet here we are ready to roll out these new vaccines. And Canada's the only one that says we're going to delay giving you that third, that second shot beyond the recommended timeline of what the science tells us to do from the manufacturer. So who the hell is Public Health Canada? to override the manufacturer's own specifications as to when that second dose should be administered. And that's what, to me, gets me all riled up and pissed off because it's clearly they don't know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, but Luke, it's really simple. If they follow the science and follow the manufacturer's recommendation and give the second dose four weeks later, it means there's not going to be enough vaccines because our federal government is screwed up. And people are going to be mad at the prime minister and they may not vote for him. We can't well, allow that to happen. That's so let's exactly lie. it. Well, I, I suggest they revisit the, the, the latest polls for the last 10, 20 years, which has consistently been liberal, despite all the friggin' headaches that they've given us and all the costs that they've incurred and all the scandals. We continue to like these people. I don't know why. Maybe it's time to move to some far off distant island and just live in peace without any self-reception. <laughs> well, you know what? We get the government uh, we deserve. You know, the, the government is the people, yeah. <laughs> quite honestly. And, you, you know, was it I, I saw it on CNN. I, I don't know who it was, but someone was saying that people said, I love Americans. I just don't like American government. Yeah. And I, I think it was Biden that said American government are the people. You, you know, when the system works, that's how it works. So if you don't like the government, vote them out the next time around. The problem is there are no options. Yeah. But those options have to be proposed by us, the yeah. people. They're not right. going to come from the system. And uh, we get what we deserve. The fact yep. that you were saying the Liberals have been in power forever, okay, uh, they were. They had a good run before uh, Stephen Harper, mm -hmm. it's because that's what the people wanted. The people had spoken. Trump was elected the first time anyways in a fair election. Yeah. Actually, he lost the second time in a fair election. The people had spoken, but I tell you, the American election, the last one, I got to be careful here because a lot of Americans are going to say the people have, have spoken and their representative Trump didn't win. It was stolen from them. And that's a whole other episode. So <laughs> maybe I'll just move on. <laughs> All right. Let's leave it there. and Let's get into what we're talking about today, which yeah. is guarding the, the challenges to making sure that you're getting the service you're paying for. Um, and, and more specifically, how come it's all too often that when renewals come up, clients or the or the contractors more specifically are surprised to find that the client isn't happy or is failing at the, what they were supposed to do. So that's the, the gist of our conversation. Does that encapsulate it enough for you there, Brian, or do you want to put something else on it? Well, it does. I just focus a little bit because you always are throwing us <laughs> off kilter. And really, I want to start the discussion by saying, why are some guard companies surprised when they lose a client? But I'll tell you, the answer is simple. It's because they were asleep at the switch 
and failed to see the signs. I'll give you an example. When I was courting my wife, I'm amazed she ever looked at me and went out with me and married me. But when I was courting my wife, I would make sure that each time I saw her, I was freshly shaved. I had nice cologne on. I wore nice clothes so that I looked presentable. Fast forward 20 some odd years later, I haven't shaved in three days. I haven't taken a bath in a month, you know, and I'm sitting around in a house coat all day. My point is that we're always on our best behavior when we want something and then we take it for granted. I've noticed, and again, you know, the uh, uh, I want to put a caveat out here. I'm not talking about the security guard industry as a whole, but I'm talking about what happens with the segment of the industry. When people win a contract, we the, the parties go into the relationship excited. The client has a partner, a strategic partner that will address their security needs and the strategic partner, the security guard company, has a client that's capable of paying the bills on a regular basis. That's a marriage made in, hap- in heaven. That's a symbiotic relationship. So if, just like your marriage, you start off and you're on a honeymoon and everything is great, one has to ask themselves, what happens? You know, How does that change to the point that the client is so frustrated at some point they leave and the guard company says, wow. I didn't see that coming. That's the thing that I think is completely avoidable. As I said, like a marriage, you have to work on it all the time. You know, it's going to evolve. It's going to change. But you have to be attentive to each other's needs as you age, as you change. And and you've got to fulfill those needs. Because when it stops being mutually beneficial, the relationship can fail. And that's what happens often with security relationships with guard companies and properties. I, I I think it's inexcusable that a guard company would be surprised when they lose a client. And I, and I speak from experience, you know, recently in our practice, we've worked with several clients to help them with RFPs in which they said, we're not happy with the current company. We don't even want to invite them back. Yeah. Uh, we just want to make a change. And we would ask, well, have you talked to them about it? Well, they never answer the phone or I haven't seen the account executive forever or I talk to them, but nothing changes. And I asked myself, how is that possible? If if they want to maintain a relationship, the, the business relationship, then they have to be fulfilling the need. How is it that the client, that the guard company loses touch? And again, it's because they're taking it for granted. And I think that there's four things that fail that shouldn't. I think that the deliverable, what it is that you're buying under the contract is not clearly defined. I think that over time, communications may have been great when we were onboarding the new provider, when you were starting the new relationship, but communications have failed. They haven't met with each other for months, if not years. Because think of it, if you're talking on a regular basis and if there's discontent or dissatisfaction, that would come up at the regular meeting and then you'd be able to address it or choose not to address it. But you won't be surprised. The next piece is oversight. I can't tell you how many times security guard companies that either I've employed or our clients have employed, the last time they were at the site to see what their guards were doing was the first month that they got the contract. And the first time they become aware of a service failure is when the client calls them to complain. They're not aware before that because they're never at the site. They're not providing any meaningful oversight. They don't know that the guard is there. They don't know what the guard is doing. And the last thing is pricing. The price, you know, why do people break a a business relationship, a security guard relationship? Well, there's two main reasons. First reason is a lack of quality. And the second reason is that I think we can get a better price. If you ensure that the price you charge is competitive and the service you give is second to none, there will be no reason to sever the relationship because it's uh, people don't like change. You know, people prefer the status quo. Finding a new provider is difficult and is painful. So I think this is the missed thing that a lot of guard, that some guard companies fail to do. They don't clearly articulate deliverables. They don't communicate on an ro- ongoing and regular basis with the client. 
to understand what the issues are. They're not providing proper oversight, and they're not ensuring that the pricing is staying competitive. So I'm I'm going to agree with the four principles that you laid out, but I'm going to speak on the guarding side's behalf as usual. I got to stick up for the for the small guy. But you know, you could you said it's like a marriage, and you're absolutely right. Um, but a marriage takes effort on both sides. It's not just one over the other. And I've been in in you know previous life where you went to properties where the program was a disaster. And then you do a little bit of digging and you find out, well, because they may not have a security manager on site or security supervisor on site, a security contractor usually reports into maybe ops or maybe uh, somebody else who doesn't have security as a priority or, or a, a, core, a core business. Um, so they're not that concerned. And what happens is they hire these, these contractors and then they let it, they put on cruise control. I've seen contractors who have made efforts to have those regular meetings that you're talking about. They've, I've asked them to copy me on the correspondence to try and stir some interest from the property to step up and say, hey, maybe we should attend some of these meetings. Maybe we should meet with the contractors to understand some of the challenges they're having. And they don't care. They don't want to meet. They have other priorities in place that they're more worried about, right? So that to me is like not unfair, but you, you got to preface to the reality that, that, that those issues also okay. exist on the other side. So you're going way off course. Let <laughs> me bring it back on course. The, and that's why the question, the title of this session is so important. The question that we're asking is, why are some companies surprised when they lose a client? Yeah. In the case you talked about, they may lose the client, but it shouldn't come as a surprise. Because based on what you're talking about, they know that in spite of the fact we're trying to set up monthly meetings, in spite of the fact we're sharing KPIs, in spite of the fact we're coming to them to say, you know, we've got or you've got some issues and this is what we're proposing, they're getting silence on the other end. There should be no surprise if they lose that client. Okay, so what I'm saying is that I'm just surprised and you and I did a client recently whereby there was a change. And the service provider, the incumbent that didn't win the RP, was surprised to find out that the client wasn't happy. Well, how can that be? When we peeled back the onion, we realized they weren't having regular meetings, even though the client wanted the regular meetings. There was never anyone at sight to see what the people were doing, and they were only interested in upselling. Okay, so. I, I guess what you say is correct, but this session isn't about saying security guard companies are bad and they're a bunch of losers. It's saying, why are you surprised when you lose someone if you're working the contract? And if you have a client that doesn't want to engage, I would suggest that that's not a client you want because security companies have to decide, are we in the security business or are we in the labor business? Because mm -hmm. if we're common laborers, I just have to put a body in there and the body will do whatever you want it to do. But if we're in the security business, we're going to give you the benefit of our expertise. And if you're not engaging with me and if you don't want to meet, I'm going to document this and I'm going to tell you we had recommended that you do ABCD and you decided at this point in time you don't want to do it. And that's going to be forming a memorandum so that two years down the road when you go to quit and go to another company – and you speak to the CEO of my company to say, I'm leaving because Brian Clayman was hard to deal with, or Brian, we kept telling Brian Clayman what the problem is. I could produce minutes of meetings. I could produce memorandums. Yeah. Say, they knew there were issues. That's what they're failing to do. So I'll accept your apology. You don't even have to say it because you were <laughs> completely off guard. I'm not attacking guards, and I'm not even attacking guarding companies. What I'm saying is that if they just implement these four things – uh, attrition will not be uh, the problem it is, and they will clearly identify those clients that are problematic, and they'll be able to position themselves to protect themselves. I'll just say one more thing, because I don't like to talk, I don't like to hog the microphone. <laughs> when I was uh, at GWLRA, we had a client, we had a guard company at a very big property. It was like almost two million dollars a year, and we got rid of them after twenty years. And they were just amazed and they were just surprised that we got rid of them. And I pointed out to them 
that not only were you guys nowhere to be seen in the last couple of years to understand what our needs are, uh, now that uh, uh, we're making a change, you're saying that, well, you agreed that you were short-staffed, didn't have enough guards. And we made these recommendations many times in the past. And when I asked the question, I said, you know what, Mr. Security Guard Company, I can believe you. Because my property managers are not security people, and many of them are hard to deal with. And they're focused just on the budget, and they don't understand risk. So I can believe you when you say that. And to your point, Luke, you mentioned that before. I said to this uh, account manager, please show me a copy of the email you sent saying that you were concerned that we didn't have enough guards on night shift, or you were concerned a lack of lighting in this part of your mall is the reason you have criminality. Well, we had those discussions. Oh, you don't have an email you could show me? Well, no. Okay, show me the meeting minutes. Well, we don't have meeting minutes. Show me the contemporaneous notes that you would have made. Well, I don't have access to them anymore. So my point is that if you do the things I'm suggesting, the regular scheduled meetings with an agenda with minutes, you can protect yourself from when, the, documenting. The, when, yeah. Yeah, when the blaming starts because it will start. And the type of client you talked about, if I was the account executive, I would realize this is a client where it's not going to end well. And I'm going to have to manage this so that if they choose to leave, that's regrettable. But I don't want them to belittle our good corporate name when they leave. If they leave because they don't like my face, there's nothing I can do about that. But if they say that they didn't know it was a problem, I want to be in a position to pull some meeting minutes from last year to say, we talked about this. We suggested that you needed to fix the cameras in this part of the mall or change the locks on yes. this store. You chose not to. Fair enough, you're the client, but don't come now and say that you're leaving because as a security provider, I didn't do what I had to do to protect you. You chose not to do what I was suggesting or take under consideration. That's the point I'm trying to make. So, you know, I'm not attacking security guard companies. I'm just saying, you know, I made a presentation to a guard company, a large guard company last year. They asked me to talk to their account managers and tell them what the client is looking for in a relationship. And the title of my presentation was, The Client is Not Your Friend. And my thesis was that, like a marriage, everything is good when it's good. But when it sours, it sours and it goes bad. And do you think if there's a major security failure in my organization, I'm going to say, I screwed up? I'm going to say, Acme Security Guard Company mm -hmm. screwed up. You're expendable. I'm not. So what I told those account executives, understand that. That's the nature of the relationship. That's the nature of the dynamic. It's an unfair power imbalance where the client has a majority of the power and go into it with your eyes wide open. When I said in my opening remarks, how could they be surprised because they were asleep at the switch and they didn't see the signs? That's exactly my point. Well, I'm not going to disagree with that. <laughs> well, I can't be the angry man. If you're <laughs> but there's nothing there to disagree with. I, I agree. I mean, the, you've got to document, you've got to protect yourself, and you've got to make the decision to walk away from clients who aren't prepared to play with you uh, on, a, on, a, on a level field or, or at least on a fair field where, where they have to engage and, and be prepared to, to, to meet with you, to, to lay out the expectations, all those things. So I, I, there's nothing there I would disagree with. I, I don't think as many guard companies – I think a lot of companies offer those things. So why do they continue to fail then is the question no. because – We've met a lot of companies, and, and some of them have been very good. Some of them, most of them are in the average, right? They, they're in the middle. They're not necessarily terrible. And then there's some that are really terrible. But, I, but most of you're them, right. Most of them are, are most of them in this country are pretty do good. Do a pretty good job. And and, and I've met excellent. with them, and I've seen the presentations. A lot of them have the tools to do the tracking, to give you the the reports, to do the KPIs, to do the uh, the meetings. So why would they be surprised? Like, how, why is it so common as you're suggesting, right? That why, why would they be surprised if all these tools are available to them? They all say that they use them and yet they're surprised. What, what's the, what are we missing here? Well, I'll tell you what we're missing. I mean, the four elements, the deliverables, communications, oversight, and pricing. Okay. All four of those have to hit an absence in any one. It can uh, cause a disconnect, which could lead to customer leaving, customer attrition. I want to tell you something. In my experience, when I was uh, responsible for security at GWRA, and we had hundreds of properties across the country, I hardly, very few of them, scheduled monthly reoccurring meetings with the property manager. 
that had an open agenda, uh, not an open agenda, that had a, a, an agenda, which had uh, the first item, how are we doing? Mm. Second item, okay, areas of concern, you know, and then like three or four things, with, and the last one, open uh, open topics, anything we want to yep. leave. Very few companies offered that, and those that did, even less would create minutes documenting the agreement, okay? In terms of uh, uh, deliverables, at least my experience when I was uh, with that large real estate company, most of the contracts that I wasn't involved in negotiating that were negotiated locally or pre presented from the guard company said, we're going to charge you $23 an hour, we're going to give you six guards, but there weren't quantifiable scope of work or deliverables that were articulated and assigned with KPIs. And that's another failure because that's what's often missing. Yeah. I, to be honest with you, with a few exceptions, I've never seen a contract that has a, a defined scope of work. And the reason that's so important is two years from now, when you're about to fire me and when we're debriefing, you say, well, you didn't do what you're supposed to do. My question is going to be, well, what is it that you think we were supposed to do? And absent a uh, contract that has clearly defined deliverables and also KPIs that uh, are mutually agreed upon that will measure success, there's no way you can succeed. It's a moving target. Yeah. You're subject to the flavor of the day. And the last thing is oversight because the pricing, I think, basically is about the same, but is the oversight piece. I want to tell you, I know a ton of account managers. I know a ton of people in the contract security industry. Most of them come over to my house for a barbecue in the summer, and they feel good that their accounts are well taken care of. And I say, why? Why do you think that the guard's actually there? Why do you think he's not sleeping? Are you there? Do you do spot checks? Do you have supervisor? Oh, yes, we have supervisor. Oh, well, what does the supervisor do? Well, he delivers relief to this guy, and he does brings uniform supplies to that guy. That's not supervision. That's a shuttle service. Mm -hmm. Supervision is like you in the police. You have 10 guys on the platoon and you've got a sergeant. And the sergeant's there to make sure people are deploying properly and doing what they need to do and following policy. Uh, someone close to me who's an account manager will say, holy shit, you know, I said, what's wrong? He said, well, last night one of my guards screwed up. What did he do? Oh, he fell asleep and the client caught him. Okay. Okay. Uh, is that a problem? Yeah, of course it's a problem. Well, why are you surprised that he fell asleep? Well, he's not supposed to. Well, what kind of oversight or supervision are you providing? It is normal for people three in the morning to sleep. Yeah. How do you know that he is or isn't? Those things are are the problem at most with most security companies. Yeah. Or, or, sorry, sorry. Let me take back. With most security companies that suffer a service failure. Those that don't suffer a service failure, and there's many good companies in this country and in the city of Toronto, is because they've got this part figured out. So I guess my whole thesis is it isn't rocket science. You know, good customer service is really easy. If you understand the psychology, you've got something that I want. So you give me what I want, and I'll give yeah. you what you want. We should be married at the hips forever. When there's turnover every time the contract is up every two or three years, I just scratch my head and saying, clearly, you weren't meeting the needs of the client. And if the client's unreasonable, clearly, you shouldn't be dealing with that client. Well, I don't know. I don't think a lot of times it's necessarily because the client's unreasonable. I think it goes back to an earlier podcast where we talked about setting the expectation. And I don't think most clients know what they want or they don't have the in-house skill sets or expertise to document or lay out what the expectations should be for those service providers who want to bid on their service. A lot of times, you know, I'm seeing RFPs now in, 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 my, in my other role where there's no defined parameters for those services. Basically, you know, yeah, you're going to, you, we need so many hours, we need so many guards, uh, but that's it. It doesn't say you got to patrol so many times, you got to do this, they got to be trained in these things. It just says they got to be trained. So, you know, they sort of set the standard of where those bidders or the contract performance is going to start. And if they can't clarify that, it makes it difficult for contractors to succeed because they don't know what they're aiming for. Well, and I know what you're going to say that's part of their job. No, yeah, uh, but yeah. it is a two-way street, right? Actually, I'm even going to be more brutal. Cop-out, okay? <laughs> that's a cop-out. When I go to the doctor and I say, he says, what's wrong? My stomach hurts. I don't tell him my large intestine duodenum is inflamed by six millimeters. 
I see my stomach hurts, and then he walks me through a series of questions so he can make a diagnosis. You, if you're a security, if you're a if you're a human resource company, you provide bodies. If you're a security company, you provide security solutions, and the guards are the means to the end type thing. It's incumbent on the provider, not the client. If the client says I need security guards, I'm going to say, well, what is it you need them to do? What does the risk assessment yeah. say? What are the vulnerabilities that can be exploited that are consequential and can cause harm? And then once I understand what your security needs are, I'm going to propose a scope of work that we're going to do A, B, C, D. And this is how we're going to measure success. Do you agree? It's incumbent on the provider to do that. You know, when you did that at Brookfield, and I did that at GWLRA, and David Salston does that at Oxford because we're in-house professional leaders, okay, we're the exception rather than the rule. Most organizations don't have in-house professionals. That's what I mean. And that's what the role of the security provider is. But the ones that and the ones that are really good understand that and they get all the business. And the ones that aren't security providers but they're HR providers, they're the ones that get into trouble. That's my point. So I I, I don't buy your 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 argument that it's the client's fault. No. It's your fault. Listen, I'm not saying it's the client's fault. I'm saying it has to be. There has to be pull on. Both of them have to be engaged. You can't pretend that a contractor gets the, the contract and all of a sudden everything's on them. You have to give them guidance somewhere. Yeah, you can ask for it, give it to you because they themselves don't know what the guidance is. Yes. Then you sort of got to figure it out as you go, which a lot of them do. And then when things go sideways, the client says, "Well, why are you doing that?" Well, you never told me what I should do, so I'm trying to figure out what what I should do, and this is what the standard is. But don't try and figure it out. At the monthly meeting, say, this is what we're going to do. Do you agree? Before you were fired from York Regional Police, were you ever a training officer? <laughs> no. Never. He wasn't fired, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just joking. He had an illustrious career. But if you were a training officer, you know what a training officer does. Yes. Yeah. I know that you spent a lot of time with training officers. It took you forever to graduate. Yes. <laughs> but if the training officer says to the rookie and you're trying to impart your knowledge and the rookie's not interested in what you have to say, how long will he be a member of the York Regional Police? So I I take that back to what you just said. If the security company is saying this is what you need and this is how we're going to structure it, do you agree? And if there's silence, then a decision has to be made. Do I want this client? Because we know it's not going to end well. And when it doesn't end well, you could say, well, it was a good run. You know, I had them for a year and a half and we built them $600,000 and that's good. Yes, but they're going to badmouth you and, and your reputation is going to be taken uh, uh, through the street, dragged through the mud in the street. Why do providers get themselves into those situations? I will tell you, the so-called premium providers, and they know who they are, they say no to many clients that are willing to engage them properly. The client has to be vested in making the relationship work. It has to be symbiotic. It has to be mutually beneficial. If it's singularly beneficial, it cannot and will not work. Mm -hmm. If you love your wife and she doesn't love you, chances are you won't be married for long. So that's why I don't buy the argument. I, I, I agree that's what's happening, but it's up to the professional, the security company, to steer the conversation. And if they can't get consensus, to walk away saying, you know what, go to company X because we are company Y and I don't see a good fit. Uh, again, I'm not going to disagree with, with with that necessarily. All I'm saying is that I think your situation or the dynamics that you speak to aren't common in the industry. And I don't mean that that's every, that the majority of contractors are the problem. I think just the industry, the industry is geared towards that type of shitty relationship. Like they don't, the clients don't know what they're doing for the most part, unless they have a, a large in-house uh, security program with a, a resident expert of some sort. And, you know, there's some big companies doing a great job downtown, but the vast majority of them don't have a freaking clue what they're doing. We've talked about that, that in the past. So when you don't know what you're doing, how can you even select the right vendor? Because you don't know what the ven- right vendor looks like. You know, I love motorcycles. You know, I'm uh, into motorcycling and I just got back into it about five or six years and I rode prior to that 30 some odd years ago when I was a younger person, 40 some odd years ago when I was a younger person. And bikes have changed a lot. And I know I wanted to buy a motorcycle. 
but I didn't know cruiser from touring bike from naked bike to street bike. So I went, I'm, I'm the customer you're talking about. I'm that property manager that knows nothing about security. And I said, hey, uh, Mr. Dealer, I want a motorcycle. And he says, oh, what kind do you want? And I said, one with two wheels. And he laughed. He said, I need a bit more information. And I said, yeah. I don't understand. And he said, well, do you like to tour? Do you like to race? And he, through the, uh, through the interview process, was able to understand what my needs were and suggest what would uh, the solution would be. That's what I'm saying is missing. We're not doing that all the time. Or if we do do it, we don't maintain it. But because they don't want to. They don't want to do that either on their end. They don't want to sit there and answer the questions. Well, that, that's fine. Then you know what? I'm a consultant. If you hire me to do a review and I ask you what are you concerned about, say I don't know. I'm not going to do the review because at the end of this review, I'm going to give them a bill for ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars or five hundred dollars, whatever the case may be, and they're going to say I'm not happy. I'm set. I will not set myself up or my company up for failure because my reputation my success my client's success is my success is more important than just getting a contract okay and and, and that's my only point so again you know that i like to beat up on property managers i like mm-hmm. to beat up on security managers okay you and i always disagree i'm not beating up on any of these guys i'm not even beating up on security service providers what i'm saying is that the difference between greatness and mediocrity or failure is small. It's four things, deliverables, communications, yeah. oversight, and price. If you just think about what that means and deliver, you will always succeed. And again, there are clients that you maybe will have to break away from. But it's better that you tell the client, you know what, find someone else than the other way around. Because the other way around is damaging to your reputation and to your business uh, quite the contrary, when you tell the client, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's really not a good fit and we want to make you happy, we can't make you happy. That just makes your reputation even stronger as a premium player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you know, I this, agree. this episode is pretty boring because you're agreeing <laughs> with a lot. Well, there's no, it's, what's the word for it? Like, I, I, I can't disagree with what you're saying because it makes sense and I get it. I just, I don't know, really. It's just a shitty well, person. <laughs> listen, there, there, there are no bad guys or good guys. You know, when we talk about COVID and the vaccine failures, there are bad guys, there are good guys. All, all this is, is that, again, I just, you know, 40 almost years in this industry, I just cannot understand the rate of turnover. I, I know that I've been with my wife for a very, very long time, and I have no desire to turn her over for many reasons. One of them is because she's armed, dangerous, and Irish. I'm yeah. worried of my safety. However, though, you don't change what works. So if there is turnover, one must ask themselves what's in a relationship isn't working. And if you sort of look at it strategically, usually what's working, you know, everything that I've ever heard or you've ever heard is they're simple to fix. We just miss the signs. So to bring it back, and that's why I made fun of you when we started the podcast, when I think you bastardized the title, <laughs> why are some guard companies surprised when they lose a client? And I said, the, uh, the answer is simple because you're asleep at the switch. Well, then that means the solution is simple. Wake up at the switch and you won't lose the client. And that's the whole thesis of today's podcast. Well, I'm going to leave it there, man, because I don't know where else to go. You've summarized it. I've agreed with you. I, I really don't have any pushback on, on that specific uh, question. So, you know, I agree. It, 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 this I, you know, podcast for me is a hollow victory. <laughs> I, I usually win the podcast, but well, it's hard fought. You just rolled over and died on me today. I could because we couldn't. Uh, I'd like to get into some of those other things that contribute to it, but it's just not into the, the question that we're asking. So we'll have to leave it for another time. You know, there's a lot of challenges to contractors that, that they're dealing with and, and the industry the way it's set up, the way it operates, like it's all just, you know, it's just all kinds of forces that keep it down, that keep it crappy uh, and make it difficult for people who want to raise it to the next level. It makes it very difficult. And you talk, we, we talked about the living wage on, on a previous podcast very briefly. There are genuine contractors out there trying to establish a living wage. And there are genuine clients who are trying to partner with, to, to achieve that living wage. And when you understand the fact that, you know, some, I've heard numbers as high as 
60, 70, even 80% of guards out there are working two and three jobs to make ends meet, then you start to understand why that guy is caught sleeping at three o'clock in the morning. Then you understand why they're a little dozy in, in the morning instead of saying good morning with a nice smile to you, to your clients. Like it all starts to make sense. There's just too many forces at play to make it a profession right now. I think it needs to be cleaned up. I think we're on our way there, but I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. I think President Kennedy stole this saying from me. There is what is, and there is what could be. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is what is. Yeah. I agree. But my position is what could be. And if what could be is trained and motivated guards with a living wage, with clients and service providers in simpatico in terms of what the deliverables are and what the expectations are, then we're going to be in a state of what could be. But that has to be driven by someone. And that can either be driven by the clients, but there's a lot of clients that see the world differently, or the industry. Well, there's less in the industry. The industry can get their stuff together, especially with advocates like you, like me, like the other thought leaders that are out there. And we can make the change, but we don't. No one takes the lead. No one takes a turn. Look, it's just like we talked about PathCom and TAFs and the different public-private uh, partnerships that you and I have been involved mm-hmm. in over the years. And I've often said that if we wait for the public sector to put it on the table, it will never happen. Yep. So that is what is. That's reality. What would be is, or what could be is, we need these relationships. This, let's let us define them. Let's then drive it, you know, uh, uh, bring the horse to the water type thing. So we've got to start the journey. We can't be talking about living wages and professionalism. Let's just make it happen. Let's make it happen. And the way you make it happen is you decide what business you're in and you're Mm -hmm. either in the security business or not. I had a discussion with the VP of a very large global security company. And uh, just last week we were talking about this and he was saying uh, that, uh, I agree, but it's not that simple. And I said, I disagree with you because it is this simple. <laughs> I said that, you know, it's what, what comes first, the chicken and the egg. You want the money so you don't turn away business. But I'm suggesting that if you have something that no one else has, you're going to get more business than anyone else. You're going to grow your business. If you want to be in the labor business, that's okay. But then say, we're acne security and we're acne labor. And you either need our security guards or you need our uh, our, our labor uh, offering type thing. But you can't be both. So change will not happen. Living wages won't happen until there's courageous, visionary business people that are going to drive it. And I just, I, I think you and I, we differ because you are a cop-out guy and I'm a <laughs> fix-it guy. Uh, uh, oh God! I don't. <laughs> Do I got you mad yet? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And, and and that's at the end of the podcast too. So I can't really <laughs> spend an hour fighting back with all the other shit I've done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a hollow victory. Have it. It's yours today. I'm not sure. going to fight back. Like I say, I agree with almost everything you said. So there's nothing for me to really push back on. And you know, ultimately, then the responsibility lies with you because I am the client. You have to get me angry, and you fail to do that. So, okay. can I ask you a question? Is IKEA opened? Is I have IKEA no idea. Because I need another uh, uh, cabinet, a shelf to put this uh, other trophy on it. <laughs> I win yet again. Oh, God. It's only one shelf you got. Don't worry. You need lots of space on there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a very small one. <laughs> shit, yeah. Okay, uh, let's wrap it up because I think you've done a good job summarizing it. To be I, honestly, I mean, I, like I say, I, I, there's not much to, for me to push back on there. I think I agree with most of, of what you say. So it's just, uh, it is what it is type thing. And yeah, we got we to gotta improve the industry uh, and start somewhere. And it's going to have to start with leaders who are willing to take the chance and, and, and lose some business to make a statement at some point, right? You can't, don't just take it for the sake of taking it. I'm, I'm going to uh, turn it over to you for summarized thoughts there, Brian. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't think I'm going to summarize, but I am going to ask a question to our listeners. You and I were talking earlier, yep. Luke, about we were looking at the stats and the data yep. where our listeners are. I was just blown away. Take a second, Luke, because you've looked at them most recently. Where are people listening? We are, well, we've got 
people, odd places. I mean, obviously the U.S., Canada, the U.K., we've got Mexico, we've got the Ukraine, we've got uh, uh, the Australia, and uh, there's a couple others in there. You know, for the life of me, I mean, it's really exciting to hear that. Uh, yeah. When I look, when I break down the data from Canada, I notice that, you know, we have many, many listeners here in Ontario in the greater Toronto area, but we've got, uh, we've got loyal followers in Vancouver, Calgary, Montreal, Atlantic Canada, which is really nice. I think we're doing something right. I'm just blown away by when I drill down on the American stuff, there's San Antonio, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, and another place in, I think maybe Palo Alto, Texas. And yeah. then we've got these foreign destinations, which just uh, is interesting. So I, I'd love to put an invite out to people that listen to us outside of the Toronto area to maybe just drop us a line at our email, info at brianclayman.com. That's B-R-I-A-N, Clayman, C-L-A-M-A-N, info at brianclayman.com. And just tell us where you listen to us, how you heard of us, and what you think of us. Because I that's what keeps me up at yeah. night. I look at it's those stats, I'm wondering, how the hell are we getting people yeah. in Australia? Well, as I'm looking at it now, India is actually third after Canada and the U.S., which, I mean, like India. Who, who yeah. would think that they'd listen to us? So, uh, yeah. yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from them and see why or how they they, they got onto us, because uh, we'd certainly uh, like to know that, so we can grow the audience and uh, get out to more people. And if you are listening, obviously, in those areas, uh, spread the word, please. Share us okay. when you when our latest episodes go online. And also, please let us know if there's things you'd like us to talk about. And again, if you're disappointed, as I am, in the way Luciano conducts himself, <laughs> put that in the email and uh, we'll have HR talk with them. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap her up. Uh, I'm uh, done. Like I say, I'm tapping out. I don't know what happened. Like I was ready to fight, oh my God. fight today and you just killed me with uh, your... <laughs> Your voice just droned on and on about stuff that I just, my eyes rolled back and that was it. <laughs> I, I tapped out. No, seriously, I, I, you know, like I said, there's nothing to push back on. I agree with what you said today. Take the victory and enjoy it while you can. Then the next one will be a little more difficult for you. Okay, you, you got a deal. All right, we'll talk to you later, guys, and uh, stay safe and hope to hear you. Well, listen to us on the next podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.